What up, guys? This is The Chase Down. I'm JP, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's up, everybody? And today we're going to review our preseason picks for MVP and all the awards um, because now we're at the All-Star break, and it's time to reflect back and see how our predictions look now, see if, how things have changed. And, uh, yeah, Ben, let's just hop right into it. Let's go into the MVP award. I know me personally, I had the MVP at the beginning of the year, before the season even started, as Kevin Durant. That probably isn't going to happen now. Um, I also had as my perimeter, like other players on the perimeter of the award, as Luca, LeBron, and Joel Embiid. Um, so the Joel Embiid one looks pretty good. LeBron looks pretty good. Um, but the other two, maybe not so much. How about you? I'm in a similar sort of situation. I have Luca as my number one. KD is number two, Jokic for number three, and Dame for number four. So two out of four, I think, are all right. Yeah, so um, who do you think is in the lead right now for the award, in your opinion? I don't think it's close. I think the only person who really deserves it right now is Joel Embiid. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was not in the camp of people that thought LeBron was in the running so far this year. I was yeah. very much not in that camp. Um, he's just isn't his stats are just not there. Like his team's really good, but his stats just aren't there. And we've seen without AD that the team struggles. Um, but Joel Embiid has been unstoppable almost every single game. I haven't seen a dud game from him yet. And he has the moments too, right? Like that game against Utah really stood out to me. He buried Rudy Gobert the entire game, put up 40 points, 19 rebounds. And he had a game tying three that is just so unique for a guy of his size to make. Like, I, I don't know how many other players in the league can make a shot like that. Um, and especially when you're seven foot one, like almost 300 pounds and, and you're doing that it's type of stuff. It's just, he's got the moments, but you brought up LeBron and I, I, I saw this on social media the other day and it literally blew me away. It made no sense to me. Joel Embiid has just passed LeBron as the MVP favorite in Vegas. Yeah. That has made no sense to me because me and you watch the league very intently. Like we're, we're turning on games that most people wouldn't even bother to pay attention to. And from what I've seen, Joel Embiid is the best player this year. Jokic is like close to him in my opinion, but because of the team success, we're not going to give him the award. So Joel, with what he's doing and his team's balling out, it, it made no sense to me that LeBron was still the favorite just until this weekend. So I feel like the, the media is almost trying to give – the, the vote like the vote to LeBron it makes no sense I don't know why they're pushing so hard for this yeah I don't think it's a coincidence at all that the weekend where ESPN finally admits that Joel Embiid's leading in the MVP race is the same weekend where Vegas puts the odds in Embiid's favor I don't think it's a coincidence at all um, as long if it's close the media is gonna go overtime work overtime given working to give this to LeBron James uh, you you kind of saw this last year. He didn't deserve it even a little bit last year. Giannis just had an incredible season. Um, and what he was able to do in the amount of minutes that he played was just unreal. And there were still people like Ramona Shelburne on ESPN yeah. talking about, oh, I, I vote for the narrative, not for the stats. Uh, I think LeBron just deserves it. There's always going to be those people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Joel Embiid is the clear favorite. I think Jokic is top three. Uh, yeah. If you look at his advanced stats, he's leading in pretty much every single category. His team just can't get him wins. And obviously that's going to hurt your chances. 
Jokic is having sneakily probably one of the best seasons of all time. And I, I actually don't think that's an over-exaggeration. Um, he's almost shooting 60% from the floor. He's shooting above 40% from three. And he's only one free throw percentage point away from being a 50-40-90 guy. He's almost a 60-40-90 guy. And he, I don't know, averages nine assists a game as a seven-foot, 300-pound player. It's just what he's doing. I don't know if any other player could replicate it at that size. Um, even the stats alone, like no one's going to come close to 60, 40, 90, unless you're seven foot, 300 pounds. Right. Um, he's just, he's crazy. It's just the team success. Like I think what Embiid and Jokic are doing are on similar footing. Right. But we have to give the nod to Embiid just because he's the number one seed. If the Nuggets make it to like the third seed, I think there's going to be real conversations happening whether Jokic deserves it more than Embiid. But I think it's the two big men, really, in the front seat of this race. I definitely agree, yeah. Um, yeah, so Jokic at second place, I think, is good. Maybe LeBron at, like, third, fourth. Um, I Ooh. still think Dame Lillard deserves it a bit more. Um, maybe I'm just biased against LeBron. I'll take that. But I, the, the teams for me, if you could see the Trailblazers or the Nuggets in the top three, I think Dame or Jokic deserves to be in the MVP conversation, like seriously. Okay. Um, outside of that, I don't know. Like there, you can make, you can make an argument for Steph if the Warriors do well enough, but I think that's a weak argument because there's no way they're going to be a four seed. No. Um, if they are more power to him, he deserves it, but I, I just can't see it happening. Yeah. Uh, Luca, I can't really see him climbing back into it. And yeah, unfortunately this was Katie's year. He could have won MVP, <laughs> but with James Harden on the team, it's not possible. It's James Harden. It's the injuries. It's the COVID. It's just all of it. It just ruins his chance at all. And the James Harden trade as well. Like when you got three great players on your team, it's kind of impossible. If you have two, you're still splitting votes, but there's still a chance. When you got three, you, you got no chance. Um, but yeah, Katie definitely could have been in the running this year. I want to ask you, though, if the Nets overtake the Sixers in the standings, if they lead the East, could you see – I've heard some talk about James Harden in the MVP conversation, yeah. and he's, he's balling out. I can't deny that. He's playing incredibly. His assist numbers are amazing. His scoring is amazing. Um, but could you see him being in the MVP conversation? Because with the team he has around him, I just can't. The thing with him is the narrative at the beginning of the year, just the despicableness that he was putting out there on the court, not trying, throwing passes out of bounds on purpose, yelling at teammates just to get out of Houston. And now all of a sudden he's back to being one of the top seven players in the league. I don't know if the media will just gloss over the fact of what he did in Houston. His stats do kind of need to be considered in the conversation though. Um, he's changed the way he's played. Me and you have talked about this few times now he's not selfish anymore like I know he still led the league in assists a couple of times but the way he played in Houston was I have the top usage rate in the entire league and I'm just going to dominate every single possession now that he has KD and Kyrie he can't do that and he's molded his game into a brand new player almost so I do think he kind of deserves to be at the table but maybe not we shouldn't take it seriously for him to actually win the award. I don't think he deserves that type of conversation. I'm, I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. Give him second place votes, give him third place votes, 
talk about him in the conversation, but yeah, I don't think I, it shouldn't be possible for a team with that many talented players to have one guy win the MVP. I have a question for you. And this is something that I listened to on another podcast, but Giannis, does Giannis have a case this year? Because we all know that this is a regular season award, but the playoffs haunt over players and take them out of the conversation. And I have not heard one player, one person put Giannis into the MVP conversation this year. But let me read you off his stats. He's averaging 29 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, six assists, a steal and a half, and a block and a half. That is insanity. And it's almost identical to what he did last year. If they, like you were just saying with the Nets, like if they go to the one seed, if the Bucks go to the one seed, do we have to consider him as an option for MVP? I think we should, but I don't think we will. Uh, I think voter fatigue is a little bit too real. And you're right. The fact that he just fizzles out in the playoffs every year, even if this team is completely different come this playoffs, which I think it's possible um, because if not, Budenholzer's out. Like there's a, there's a lot of guys here who have a lot to prove that come playoff time for the Bucks. But no, I don't, I, even if he deserves it, and I think he does deserve to be in the conversation, people won't put him in there. He's, he's won two in a row. I think that's what he's getting. And it puts him in like a historical class that maybe people don't want to put Giannis in. I think, don't take this as gospel, but I'm pretty sure Larry Bird and like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar are the only players to win three straight MVPs. And I don't know if Giannis in that conversation looks correct. So I think the media also doesn't want him to be a part of a group that prestigious just yet. I think that's fair too. And his numbers are slightly, just the slightest bit lower than they were last year. His assist numbers are up. Uh, his steal numbers are up, his block numbers are up, but his points and rebounds are down. Yeah. I think if we saw something from him this year that showed some sort of growth um, compared to last year, then people would start talking about him more in yeah. a sort of back-to-back-to-back sense. But I, I can't see it happening with just him being as good as he was last year. I think he needs more. Like, let's say he comes into the league shooting 37% this year, then he'd be in the conversation yeah. is what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, or at least like 75, 80% on the free throws. Yeah. Like if he, he added something to his game. He is amazing, but he yeah. didn't really add anything to his game from last year. Yeah. All right. I think that concludes our conversation for the MVP. Let's move on to the defensive player of the year. So I had Anthony Davis winning it at the beginning of the year before the season even started. I had Giannis coming in second, Draymond Green in third, and then Ruby Gobert fourth. Um, I had a big... Uh, hole there in my lineup. I left out a pretty important player that I think is the favorite now. Ben, what was your list preseason? My list also had a pretty big hole in it. Um, AD, Ben Simmons, Giannis, and Embiid. No Rudy Gobert. Um, So I think right now, I think I'd probably give defensive player of the year to Rudy Rudy Gobert. Um, His just – how good the jazz have been, how much, how important he is to their offense. If you look at advanced defensive stats, he is up there. uh, Number two in defensive rating, number one in defensive win shares. Like if you look at advanced stats, he's, he is, he passes the eye test. Um, But I think we're both going to argue that Ben Simmons deserves to have a real, real talk. Like we have to have a real conversation about putting Ben Simmons, maybe first, maybe second, but, yeah, those are the only two in my eyes really fighting for it right now. 
Yeah, that was the hole I was mentioning in my list, Ben Simmons. Um, I think he has approached Kawhi level of defense. Um, and for those listening, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know Kawhi is my favorite player of all time. And I, the reason I love him so much is his defense. But Ben Simmons, I've seen him make Luka look horrible. I've seen him look make Damian Lillard look like a scrub. I've seen him take the premier perimeter players in this league and make them look like bums. And Rudy Gobert, his defense cannot be denied, right? He stands in the paint and he deters so many shots and he he contests so many shots too. Um, But what his main focus is, I'm going to scare little guys from going into the paint. We've seen seen Jokic, Zion, and Joel Embiid make him look like an idiot. And – we don't see players make Ben Simmons look like an idiot. Now, their roles are very, very different. Obviously, one's a perimeter player and one's a center. And the whole defensive scheme in Utah runs around Rudy Gobert. But what Ben Simmons is doing on the perimeter this year is something I haven't seen since Kawhi. So I, I just I can't imagine someone thinking there's a better defender in the league than Ben Simmons right now. Better all-around defender, yeah, I think it goes to Ben Simmons. Um, Because of the way Utah's system is structured, Rudy Gobert is, I think, more important to his team's defense um, just because their entire strategy is funnel people into the paint, Rudy block them. But, yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous watching Ben Simmons shut down everybody one through four, um, like with ease. People – I've heard people say one through five – He's not stopping the best centers. He'll stop like a, a Daniel Tice level center. Right. Um, like a mid-level okay center. He's not – I guess there's really not a lot of people who are stopping the best of the best, but he's not even trying to. Yeah. Um, I think if he wanted this award, he could go get it. There's a lot of games that I watch the Sixers where Ben Simmons does not start the game guarding the best player on the other team. Maybe by the third and fourth quarter, he'll end up picking him up. I've seen that with the Wizards. He ends the game guarding Beal. He doesn't start the game guarding Beal. Um, I don't know. I, do you think you need to see him putting in the that full level of effort for four, four quarters for him to be considered? Do you, do you think he should already be considered? I already think he should be considered. And I think that point that you just made actually kind of furthers his case because they use him like a weapon, right? They see they start the game just in normal defensive scheme, right? Like Ben will put you on a player similar size to you, and let's just run it out and see how it goes. They like again, I'll I'll reference the Jazz game. They saw Donovan Mitchell getting hot. They said, "Nope, not today." They put Ben Simmons on him, and then he sucked from then on. And it's just like they use him as a tactical, like like a weapon, and they just throw him on the best player when they're starting to heat up to just cancel it out, and then. They, they dare you to use their role players to beat you instead of their best player. And I just think to stick a guy who's 6'10 on a guard who's 6'2 and be able to like slide with him and stay in front of him that entire time is just like it's you can't find it anywhere else in the league. Yeah, I mean, you are right. Um, he is I, – I think Kawhi at his best is a better defender than Ben Simmons, like yes. one-on-one. Absolutely. Um. Ben Simmons is shutting down anybody under six foot five, like with ease. Uh, And that is, it's incredible to watch somebody who's as big as Ben Simmons guard guards that are that quick with ease. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I I don't know, man. It depends on, I guess, the team record. DPOI, Defensive Player of the Year, has never been a team record sort of award. But since they're both in first and people already assume, people already put Rudy Gobert as the guy, I don't know what really needs to happen for Ben Simmons to be to overtake him in that position. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him second place this year. It feels kind of impossible for him to win it this year, which is, which bothers me a little bit. Um, people just pencil in Rudy Gobert right away, which I think is fair. I think he's earned that right. But what Ben Simmons started to do last season when he made first team all defense and what he's continued to do this season, it just it's, it's tough for me to put any player above him because I've seen Jokic make Gobert look stupid. I've seen Joel Embiid look, make Gobert look stupid. I've seen Zion do it too. I just haven't seen anyone make Ben Simmons look stupid yet. So I just, I put him a tick above. Yeah, I, I think it's totally fair, but I think you are in the, uh, the minority there with people voting. Yeah. Um, last time we went over this, we had Miles Turner leading the way for Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. And a thing that I didn't really realize, he is first in the league in blocks and block percentage, uh, but he's also first in the league in fouling shooters. Yes. Um, so as good as his block numbers are, you cannot award a dude Defensive Player of the Year for just chasing after every single shot that goes up. Um, if he could keep his fouls under control, I still don't think he deserves to win it. Um, but I think he'll probably end up getting some second place and some third place votes. And I think that's probably fair. I would put him like maybe third or fourth. Draymond Green also deserves to be talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we spoke a little bit about Draymond. We spoke a lot about Miles Turner last time, like you mentioned. We had him as the clear and away front runner. And that has dramatically changed. Um, yeah, like you said, a defender block percentage is great. How many blocks you get per game is great. But if you're fouling people and giving them free points, are you the best defender in the league? Probably not. Um, yeah, and, and that like we can talk about Joel Embiid in this conversation. His blocks are down, but his foul percentage is way down. So technically, he's a better defender this year because he's not giving away as many free points and miles turner is kind of the inverse of that his blocks are way up but his foul rates way up so yeah i think you're right he'll probably get some third and fourth place votes but he's definitely not in the like conversation of winning it anymore i also think a fringe uh sort of pick here maybe for third place Giannis could be in the conversation yeah. he's always a dude because he he is similar to ben simmons where he can guard a whole bunch of positions and he is so long that he can protect the rim pretty well um, he challenges pretty much any dunk. It doesn't matter if he's actually going to stop it or not. He will challenge every play. Um, but I, again, I think there's a little bit of voter fatigue. People just don't care how good Giannis is this year. Yeah, it, it sucks because I know his, I've heard other players, like I don't watch the Bucks a ton, but I've heard other reporters say that his defense is still pretty elite in terms of like other players in the league. So it, you're right. The, uh, voter fatigue, he's probably not even going to be considered. He'll probably get thrown a bone for like fourth place votes. But um, I think we're wrapping up with the Depoy conversation. Let's move on to our last conversation before we take a break with you guys. Uh, Rookie of the year. Preseason, we had LaMelo Ball winning it, both of us. Um, the last time we checked in, I switched my pick to Tyrese Halliburton. And I think you still stayed with LaMelo, if I remember correctly. I did, yep. Um, it's LaMelo's award. 
it's not close. Um, he's balling out. I think he, like, if he started the year, he would have been an all-star and deserving of it too, which is like kind of insane. Um, very rarely do rookies actually get selected to the all-star game. LeBron didn't, Luca didn't. Like, these are some of the pinnacle players, but he's been playing like an all-star all year. Um, he, he's going crazy. What are your thoughts? I'm, I'm so very impressed. Yeah. Um, I keep waiting for one of those games where he just has an absolute horror show of a game, shooting like four of 20, yeah. just breaking all his threes, but it hasn't happened, man. And even when he's not taking shots, he is so good at getting to the rim and making plays for his teammates. Um, he can still, there's still so much I think he can improve on, which it's crazy that you can average 26 and six as a starter for your team and still have so much to improve on. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's definitely going to be an all-star within the next three years. I brought that up when we talked to Nate and it was like a maybe conversation at the time. I don't think there's any question that within the next couple of years, he'll be an all-star. And uh, I'm going to shout out Kevin O'Connor from the ringer here. He spoke yesterday and he said in terms of players that he's choosing over LaMelo ball 23 and under it's only three. It's, uh, Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, and I'm forgetting one, but Luca, Jason, probably Luca. Yes, that that was the third. That's a very exclusive group. Those are the only players he's taking over uh, Lamelo right now. And I think I agree. Like, I I got on here on this podcast and defended John Morant a couple weeks ago. I don't know if I'm taking John Morant over Lamelo Ball. I, I don't think I can. Lamelo shooting so well from three, and his passing gift is the same, if not better, than Jaws. So it's hard for me to choose Jaw over LaMelo. It's crazy this kid's rise. I think he's a bona fide star already. And I think Charlotte already kind of resembles the young Celtics of like just a couple years ago when Tatum was a rookie and Brown was in his second year and they kind of made a run. All right, and we're back. Uh, you were talking about LaMelo Ball and the Hornets reminding you of the young Celtics. Yeah, um, the Celtics with Jason Tatum as a rookie made a nice little run to the Eastern Conference Finals um, and shock, kind of shocked people and played against LeBron in a seven-game series. And I think the Hornets have potential to do that. I'm not sure if it's this year that they do that, but maybe LaMelo's sophomore year. I like P.J. Washington. He's a good player. Malik Monk has really seemed to turn it on. Obviously, they have Gordon Hayward. Um I think they have some of the worst centers in the league, though. They got Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo, so maybe if they improve that spot. But all in all, they have a lot of young talent, and I think they could shock people either this year or next year with their playoff performance. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think you're wrong there. Um, I'd be less surprised to see them make a playoff push next year than this year. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if the Hornets make it, how playoff ready LaMelo is um, because I, I imagine him going into those playoff games with the same level of confidence he goes into regular season games with. And you definitely don't see that from a lot of players. I don't, you don't see it from any rookies, uh, the, the confidence he has, but honestly, outside of Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward and LaMelo, I just don't believe enough in the talent with the rest of the team. I think Cody Zeller is not a bad center. Bismack Biombo might be one of the worst. Um, he He's like uh, Gortat back when him and John Wall used to play together where the only buckets he's getting are because LaMelo's setting him up for wide open layups. Yeah. Dunks. 
Um, but yeah, PJ Washington is somebody you could probably trade for some value or maybe just hope that he develops Malik Monk. I feel like, I think he's owed some money pretty soon. Um, yeah. But I mean, LaMelo could be a dude that people want to play with. Like the, the court vision he has, the amount of fun that he has playing the game, he could definitely be somebody that attracts free agents to this team. And I think Gordon Hayward's the same way. I think Gordon Hayward's a player that people don't mind playing with. They know he likes to share the ball. And LaMelo, who's not going to want to play with this kid? He has no problem giving up the ball to someone else to take it off the court or to make a play. He has no issue with it. And I think when we think of star players, we kind of, for some reason, think of James Harden because of how much he dominates the ball and like Russell Westbrook because the way they dominate the ball. But to have a star who doesn't dominate the ball like that, that's huge. Um, I just think people would love to come to Charlotte. It's a nice city, whatever. So, um, yeah, I think LaMelo's clearly going to win this award. I don't think it's close. Um, I do want to talk about the other rookies we spoke about a little bit. We spoke about Tyrese Halliburton, James Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards a little bit. Um, Tyrese Halliburton still having an incredible year as a rookie. Um, I think if LaMelo wasn't here, he'd by far be the winner. Um, still shooting super effectively from the floor and from three, making winning plays every single night. Debatably, the second best player on the Kings, him and Harrison Barnes, you could choose back and forth. Uh, probably Harrison Barnes this year. Um, but the Kings suck. It's not his fault. James Wiseman been in and out of the lineup and his career so far just been up and down. He struggled at points, really shown some promise at others. And then Anthony Edwards has been in a slump, man. He has been stinking up the joint. Uh, obviously, we love his tools, his athleticism, his bonkers. Um, his shot creation is pretty good. His dribbles and his first step are pretty explosive. Uh, so there's definitely promise there. But in terms of what he's doing this year, he's just not playing that well. Yeah, yeah. He can. Anthony Edwards can absolutely create his own shot. And he can get to the rim pretty well. It's just he can't put the ball in the basket. Anywhere. Um, Anywhere, especially not from three. He had one really good game against LeBron and the Lakers. And then after that fell off the biggest cliff you can fall off. Um, and he's just been in a pretty bad slump. I don't think he was ever really in contention for the award here. It was really only LaMelo and Halliburton. Yeah. Um, I really like Halliburton still. Like, we haven't seen any slip-ups from him. He is still as steady and consistent as he was to start the season. It's unfortunate that Luke Walton is the coach of this team and that the team's just not very good. Um, I don't know how many losses they've had in a row, but too many. Uh, they, they, like, they went from being an exciting team that was 500 that you really could root for to somebody where you want to change the channel when they come on. Um, I also... I had some some wild guesses. I had Obi Toppin as a potential Rookie of the Year candidate. Yeah. Uh, I didn't expect Julius Randle to be doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And James Wiseman, another dude who he has lots and lots of potential. I think in a couple of years, he could probably be a really, really good center. Yeah. Um, but it takes a long time for centers to learn how to play in the NBA. That is true. Like, even if, he's, even if his body is NBA ready, the rotations, learning how to get in front of big men – uh, he still falls for fakes pretty often. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's got lots of potential, but nobody compares to LaMelo. He is, he is almost an all-star already, and I don't know how you could argue anybody deserves rookie of the year over that dude. You really can't. 
And oh, if anyone... I have somebody. Not that deserves it over him, but somebody oh. we should talk about. Somebody okay. um, that has been slept on a little bit that I think needs to be talked about a little more. Emmanuel Quickly is yeah. a fantastic scorer. Yeah. Can run the pick and roll really well. I think him learning with Derek Rose is going to be really big for him. Um, not a dude who's going to win this award, but just a rookie to watch out for, I guess, for the next couple of years. Absolutely. I think that's a good point mentioning him. Um, he's spoken on multiple occasions saying that Lou Williams was his favorite player growing up, and you can see it in his game. Absolutely. He's got the floater going. Um, great at the pick and roll, just like Lou Williams. So, yeah, he the Knicks stole him. They, they got lucky with that pick for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, it, in terms of my guesses preseason for Rookie of the Year, I had some pretty crazy ones too. I had uh, Isaac Okoro. <laughs> and Denny Avdia so uh, maybe swung too far with those ones yeah I uh, I didn't even bring up my fourth pick I had Bull Bull as my dark yeah. horse uh, yeah <laughs> we, we made some big swings and misses but that's okay I still like Denny Avdia honestly yeah, um, yeah. they don't run offense through him no. and that's what he does best um, they've, they've made him a bit of a like a three-point shooter from the corners yeah and like sometimes during the bench minutes he'll get some chances to run the offense I guess it makes sense he's a rookie, but yeah, it, he wasn't really ever going to be in contention. And it's so interesting because his, like, thing in the draft was he cannot shoot at all. It was, like, him and Isaac Okoro that were the players that couldn't shoot, and you're absolutely the, right. Like, they have turned this dude into, like, a three-point shooter almost exclusively. He's thir- shooting 37%, which is kind of shocking, honestly. Um, but, yeah, his role – he's similar to Gordon Hayward in the sense that he doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot, but if he does have it in his hands, he'll make a good decision and he's fine with giving it to someone else. So like you said, he, I still like him. I don't think he's anywhere. He's never going to make a run at rookie of the year, but in terms of like a nice role player, I think they probably hit with Denny Apia. Yeah. And Isaac Okoro definitely fooled us a little bit with his preseason shooting. Yeah. The preseason shooting was uh, <laughs> lights out in the regular season. Not so much. He is, We've spoken about him a little bit through this podcast just because I was such a big Cavs fan at the beginning of the year, but his defense is above average already. And if that's what they were drafting for, they got what they wanted. So, um, yeah, so we're going to take a quick break for our guys, for you guys. We're going to run an ad here and then we'll come back. All right, guys, we're back and we're going to get into the most improved player award first. So, Ben, what was your preseason list of your most improved candidates? <laughs> My preseason list starts with DeAndre Ayton, then Michael Porter Jr., then OG Ananobi, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Okay. All right. What about you? Uh, My most improved list was DeAndre Ayton in a landslide win. I know we spoke about that a little bit in the last episode that we talked about these picks, but it was like bet your house on DeAndre Ayton winning it. Um, I had Michael Porter Jr. second, Lowry Markkinen third, and then Lonzo Ball fourth. And I actually kind of want to give a quick shout out to Lonzo Ball. If it weren't for Jeremy Grant this year, he could maybe have a case. Um, His three-point shooting is through the roof this season. He's shooting above 40% from three. And we all know how he is as a defender and a playmaker. So he he has a small case for it. But I just wanted to give a shout out to him for his improvement this year. He has absolutely shut up a handful of haters who did not see any future, any potential for Lonzo Ball. Yeah, um, yeah so let's get into who we think actually deserves it. I think the, the two names that we talked about the last time we brought this up 
were Christian Wood and Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Christian Woods missed the last 14 games, I want to say, yeah. with a sprained ankle. Yeah. Um, he's coming back tonight, I believe. Oh, yeah, uh, yes, I did see that. I, yeah, he's coming so back. So if he can remain healthy for the rest of the year, he can put his name back into that conversation. Somebody that I think deserves a little bit of a conversation, somebody we have to really talk about, does Julius Randle deserve to be most improved player this year? Ooh. Because he has certainly improved tremendously. He's upped his playmaking. He's upped his scoring. His efficiency is still pretty good. Uh, he's shooting 40% from three. And the Knicks are good. I know that that doesn't really matter with this sort of award. Um, but you can make a case that Jeremy Grant is just getting every single touch that he wants because it doesn't matter because the Pistons are garbage. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm actually very intrigued by that. I'm a little, now that you say it, I'm a little shocked we haven't heard his name thrown around a little bit more for this award. Um, we know that this award likes to be given to first-time All-Stars. Julius Randle, first-time All-Star, has clearly made a jump, which is obviously the purpose of the award. Um, I would be totally fine giving it to uh, Julius Randle. I think the only disconnect is people are going to see Jer Jeremy Grant's stats and maybe just hand it to him because the numbers look a little bit better. But in terms of impact, I don't think it's close. I think, I mean, Julius Randle's on a winning team right now. Like, no offense to Jeremy Grant, but the Pistons suck. I don't know if it's obviously probably not his fault, but, I mean, what he's doing doesn't lend itself to winning. And like you said, we're not sure how much these voters take winning into account. But for me, that's interesting. I think I might actually put Julius Randle – above Jeremy Grant in my personal rankings. Because I think, I think I'm honestly in the same boat. Um, obviously, Jeremy Grant's jump, stats-wise, uh, from last year to this year is incredible. Nice. But he's playing considerably more minutes in a much larger role. It's Julius Randle. I don't know that this what his role really was last year, uh, but whatever it was, he wasn't fulfilling it. He was just kind of out there getting his points, trying to prove himself, but he wasn't doing anything to actually lift up the guys around him. Um, he's shooting 13% better from three this year compared to last year on more attempts. Um, his playmaking, his assists are up for to 5.5, which is really good for a forward. Yep. Uh, 11 rebounds, 23 points. I... Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same camp with you where I think people look at Jeremy Grant's stats, just look at the jump and say, like, like a dude, he basically doubled his points per game. How do we not give it to him? Right. Um, but Julius Randle's just so efficient, and his team's good and winning. And he's I, – I would give it to him, honestly. I think Jeremy Grant and Julius Randle are the only two big names. Lonzo does deserve some credit. He's been pretty great. Yeah. Um, but his jump isn't nearly the same as these two guys. No, and going back to Julius Randle quickly, his defense has improved too. Like, we kind of viewed him, well, I viewed him as a black hole who didn't play defense and only wanted to get numbers, and I think the NBA community kind of looked at him that way as well. Um, obviously, with Tom Thibodeau coming in, no one's going to be a low-effort defensive player after he steps in, but his defense has improved pretty drastically um, from a player who didn't even care about it. Um, and like you said, I mean, his role last year was to piss Knicks fans off. Knicks fans <laughs> did not like him at all. Uh, if you just hop on NBA Twitter last year with Julius Randle, you could find a bunch of um, 
just like hate towards him pretty much. And I think he was almost viewed as almost like an Andre Drummond last year. Seriously. I think it almost got to that point. So for his reputation to be flipped from an offensive black hole who doesn't try on defense, it kind of just makes your team worse to a guy who literally made an all-star game and is one of the reasons why that team's a winning team. I think that's a, a great case. Yeah. I've, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think there may need to be a bit of a, uh, a campaign trail made for him. People have yeah. to try to push for him to win this award. Cause I think people really are looking at Jeremy Grant and nobody else right now. Um, I had Shay Gilgis Alexander on my list. I think he deserves recognition. Yeah. He's upped his three-point percentage. He is as efficient as you can ask for from a dude. Uh, his assists have doubled from last year. Um, they put him in the position to be the primary guy for this team, and yeah. he has succeeded all he has exceeded all expectations. He's been fantastic for the team. And the offensive talent they put around this guy is horrid. It's awful. Yeah. Al Horford, he gives you 14 points a game. Lou Dort gives you 12. It's just like, it's just Shea. And he leads the league in potential assists. I know we don't care about stats like that too much, but I mean, it shows that he's hitting open guys. They're just not hitting the shots. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, he's been killing it this year. I thought he deserved an all-star nod this year um, over Mike Conley. I, me and you spoke about this through text, not on the podcast, I believe, but we kind of recognize that Mike Conley's all-star nod was basically reputation alone. He's never made one 12 years running. He, he was always the best player who never made it. The NBA threw him a bone. He did not deserve that over Shea Gildas Alexander. Um, but going back to Shea, I think you're absolutely right. I think he deserves a vote here and there for most improved because of how well he's playing this year. And the unfortunate part about that, that all-star decision, is if the award went to Shea, he's automatically vaulted himself into that conversation. Yeah. Um, I agree. So I talked about way before, like my initial picks for all-stars, Mike Conley was a part yeah. of that list. It was part because advanced stats were painting him as like one of the most impactful offensive players in the league. Yeah. And part because legacy – because I just, I love Mike Conley and I felt like he deserved it, but I, not this time. Yeah. Um, you could have made an argument for DeRozan because the Spurs are good. You could make an argument for Shea because he was playing incredible. Um, yeah, I think he would have needed that. I think the fact that Julius Randle got the all-star nod makes me view him more as a legitimate most improved player candidate. Yeah, and that's fair. That's kind of how the award works. It's the players who make the first all-star game, like Brandon Ingram won it last year, I believe. He made his first all-star game jumping from the Lakers to New Orleans, big leap, and he made the game. So it's just kind of how the award works now, but that's fine. Um, let's talk a little bit about the players we thought were going to win it. Um, me and you, both DeAndre Ayton. I'll start. He is a good player. I'm not, I'm not going to hate on him. Um, he didn't exactly take the leap I thought he would. I have here in my notes from the first podcast we did about this is, that the Suns record is going to take a huge leap and that DeAndre Ayton's going to be a dominant pick and roll partner with Chris Paul. I see him averaging around 20 and 10. Um, that is not what he's averaging. Um, he is a good, he's improved on defense again. I think he's a good defender. I don't think people are scared um, to have him out in the court and finishing minutes anymore, which is huge for that team. Um, but in terms of his offense, me and you have spoken about this a little bit. He's got David Robinson's body on him. 
he's huge. The dude's like seven foot one, 275 pounds. And he plays as if he's six, nine, 200 pounds. He tries to finesse everything. And it's just like, once he realizes that he's as big as he actually is, it's over. He could average 20 and 10 in his sleep if he wanted to. So um, yeah, that's kind of all I have to say. A little disappointed, but I still think he's a good player. I still think he's important to the Suns. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. DeAndre Ayton is not a bad player, and I will continue to hype him up to anybody. Uh, he's just not what we expected. Yeah. He is slowly adding bits to his game. We, we've talked about how he just is finesse over strength at all times. And I think if he knew that he had the strength, if he knew that he could go to that, then having the finesse would be really, really big for him. The fact yes. that he could do both would be really nice. He's not doing both. He's just a finesse guy. And yeah, he was a grown man when he came into the league. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a massive man. He's, he's gigantic. He should be bodying people in the post and he just doesn't. We he bodies see- people on defense. He sets hard screens. Yeah. He rebounds hard. He just does not dunk the ball with as much force as he possibly can. And I want to see that more from him. Exactly. And that could be a mindset thing. We don't know, but we see, we see a player like Zion, right? Who's clearly the strongest player in the league but his touch is so great and so soft. And that gives him an advantage over other players who are just brutes. Um, And I think, I mean, Anthony, uh, sorry, DeAndre Ayton's touch is great. So if he could just learn the strength aspect to his game, like you said, having that touch would be so beneficial because we see Zion make finishes that he shouldn't be able to make, but because he has the touch and the wherewithal to just float something up, it drops through the bucket. And I think he, DeAndre Ayton could be a great, great finisher around the rim, but he just likes that uh, face-up pop shot a little too much. Um, but he's still a good player, so no hate. Uh, hopefully he could take the uh, leap next year. Let's talk a little bit about Michael Porter Jr. too. Um, you're a big Nuggets fan, and you, you text me pretty frequently about how frustrated you get with Michael Porter Jr., what do you think he has done this year? Are you impressed? Are you annoyed? Do you think they should ship him? Do you think he's a, a untouchable? What's your opinion on Michael Porter Jr. this season? I think the Nuggets should ship him. I think the Nuggets should have already shipped him when his value is at his absolute highest. Um, he just, his basketball IQ just isn't there. And it, a lot of times it just looks like he doesn't make an effort to get it there. Like he is just, he is the guy who will hit difficult shots and that is his only role. And if you ask him to do anything else, he won't do it. Um, he's shown more effort on defense. I got to give him yeah. credit for that. Yeah. He has certainly shown more effort on defense. He's gotten a lot more blocks. He looks like he understands what he's doing on defense a bit more. It's just he, he interrupts so much offense on the Nuggets just because he's like, all right, it's my turn to take this shot. Yeah. Um, and you can see, like, Jokic pouts on the floor sometimes because Michael Porter Jr. will break up the offense just to take shots. And when he misses them, it's just bad offense and frustrating. Yeah. Um, I feel like they're sticking with him. I don't, I don't think the Nuggets are going to trade him. I wish that they would. If they were a real contender for James Harden, if they really had a shot to get him and you have to give up Michael Porter Jr., you give him up twice. Give him up yesterday. Like, yeah. there isn't – He's, he should not be an untouchable in their eyes, uh, but I'm kind of worried that he is because they, in, get, in getting rid of Jeremy Grant, 
you kind of cleared space for Michael Porter Jr. to be the guy to take all those minutes. And he's playing 29 minutes a game. I just don't know that he deserves them all. Yeah, so I think you're right. I think they view him as an untouchable. And I think they're so tantalized by his potential. Because his potential is 25 points per game, 50-40, like 85. And a shot maker that it doesn't matter if someone's in his face or not. Like, that that's his potential, like multiple-time all-star. But sometimes players just don't reach their potential. Or sometimes players have traits that are so disruptive to team chemistry, it's not worth having them on your team. So it's like, he is – this was the huge thing with Carmelo Anthony, right? Those Knicks teams – they succeeded and failed with Carmelo because of his flaws and his success, right? Like, because he was such a ball stopper and such a gra- like a black hole with the ball, he wouldn't even look to pass. Sometimes they'd win because he'd hit a game winner and just score 60 points in a game. Or sometimes they'd lose because he literally would ignore open cutters and open corner threes and stuff like that. And I see a lot of Carmelo Anthony and Michael Porter Jr., in terms of skill and mindset, Michael Porter Jr. thinks he's the best player on the team. And he's just not, he's not even, he's the third best player. Um, and it's, it's just not good. So I'm kind of with you. I think they should have sold on him already. I think if Bradley Beal is on the table, which me and you disagree about, but if he is on the table, get the hell away from Michael Porter Jr. Get Bradley Beal in that team immediately. Um, I, I would even do it for a lesser player than Bradley Beal, I think. I Yeah, I certainly would too. I think if you could break up Michael Porter Jr., if you could trade one really high potential player for a couple of really good role players, um, that's all Jokic needs. He needs dudes who are going to hit corner threes. He needs dudes who are going to cut uh, and finish their shots inside because he will create shots for people. Yeah. Um, and he needs guys who can play defense. What I will say... Michael Porter Jr. is shooting 63. He has a 63% true shooting, shooting 41%, 42% almost from three. He's a great shooter. He's a sniper. Really, really great shooter. He's a difficult shot maker. KD-esque in a way that he shoots over people. Um, I just don't know that he'll ever be more than that. He's a good rebounder too. Yeah. I just don't know that he'll ever be more than that. I don't see him ever being a good defender like a, a plus defender. I can see yeah. him being neutral. I think he's probably neutral on the team now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not the biggest Michael Porter Jr. fan. His, his attitude bugs me a bit. And I was just about to say, you have to, you have to weigh the consequences, right? Are you going to let a player with the potential of like a Hall of Fame offensive repertoire slip through your fingers because he's got a weird attitude and he's kind of a ball hog? Like, that's the decision they have to make. And I, I'm glad I'm not in the Nuggets front, front office because I don't think it's as simple as we're making it out to be. But um, yeah, a um, couple quick names to just throw out and just give credit to. Larry Marketing. he's having a pretty good season, but it was stupid on my behalf to choose him. He's always injured. And I spoke about Lonzo Ball. Who are the other two players that you had? I had uh, OG Ananobi and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah. Um, OG was a dude who I spent too much time listening to Raptors Twitter and Raptors fan bases because uh, yeah. they have been ra- shooting his praises yeah. for years. He has been uh, on most improved player watch in Raptors subreddit eyes for years. Yeah. Uh, and I bought into it for some reason. He's still a very – he's got a pretty wide um, array of talents. He can do a good – a lot of everything Yeah. pretty well. Um, 
but yeah, stats wise, he's just, he's never going to be in that conversation. Yeah. He's going to be a really above average role player for his whole career. And that's fine. People need to understand that it's okay to have role players in the NBA. Not everyone's a star. Yeah. Um, let's move on to six man of the year. Uh, this award's kind of been shut down, in my opinion. I think this is the easiest bet in all of the awards, truthfully. I think it's Jordan Clarkson in the landslide. Um, I don't know if anyone even really comes close. How about you? No, Jordan Clarkson's the only dude. I had uh, in my list, I had Schroeder, Jordan Clarkson, and Spencer Dinwiddie as my three. And Schroeder's now a starter, and Spencer Dinwiddie is now injured. Yeah. Um, this is Jordan Clarkson's award. He is a flamethrower. Yep. on the Utah Jazz bench. Uh, he had maybe five or six games ago, he had a game where he hit eight threes off the bench. He had a 40-point game already. He is just, like, if you give him the first two shots, if they go in, he's going to score 30. He's going to score 25 at least. Um, his offense is incredible. I've been a big fan. Yeah, uh, I agree. He is a sniper off the bench for them. Uh, he's the second leading scorer on a team who's first in the West off the bench. I think that alone wins him the award. Um, not to mention, he is averaging 18 points on good efficiency. And he, he I, I've said this in the last episode, we talked about this, but I just didn't like the contract. I thought they paid him way too much money. But if this is who he is now, a guy who can come off the bench and just give you 18 points in only 26 minutes. Like that's a hell of a contract they got for him. So um, if you guys are interested in sports betting, I actually advocate for you to put money on Jordan Clarkson winning. I think it's like a shoe win unless he gets hurt. Um, but yeah, I think that's really all we have to say about the six man award. Do you have anything else to say? And there's there's nobody who's even close. Yeah. Um, like, there are intriguing six men. Emmanuel Quickly is kind of a six man for, six man for the Knicks. Yeah. Um, and he's been interesting. Um, I Honestly, I can't even name somebody who gets second place. Like, who else is in the conversation? Lou Will stepped up a little bit since yeah. the first time we talked about him. He was playing garbage-tier basketball, and he stepped up a bit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony has been good for the Blazers as a bench guy. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's nobody else. There's nobody who even really is in this conversation. I want to give a quick, now that you mentioned him, I do want to give a quick shout out to Lou because I was trying to get his ass shipped off the Clippers for a while there. And I thought Lou, Luke Kennard was the guy to take over. Luke Kennard's getting DNPs right now. Um, I was dead wrong on that. I thought I saw something from, from Luke Kennard that maybe could supersede what Lou Williams brings to the team, but it does not seem like that's reality. I definitely biffed on that one. Yeah, that one 20-point game he had really conned both of us because I thought he was going to be legit too. Yeah. Uh, but now Lou Will is just – he is always going to be a great player. Like it was just a slump. He is, he is a pure scorer, and he kind of always will be. Let's move on to coach of the year. Now, I know me and you, I think we both have the same coach. Remind me if I'm wrong. I had Doc Rivers. Did you have Doc Rivers winning it? We had the same three, but in different orders. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, the person I had winning it was Doc Rivers. I had Monty Williams in second place, and then I had Rick Carlisle in third. I had Rick Carlisle winning it, Doc Rivers in second, Monty Williams in third. Okay. Um, I expected a lot more from the Mavs in the preseason than we've gotten so yeah. far. But I don't think either any of these three are the winners. I think Ooh. you could make an argument for Doc Rivers, but I think yeah. it's Quinn Snyder. Okay. Um, All right. Let's talk about it. Yeah. 
The Utah um, Jazz still number one in the West, 27 and nine. Yeah. Their offensive system is entirely different than it was last year. Yeah. They are shooting an absurd amount of threes every single game. Um, lots of teams are, but I mean, we talked about Jordan Clarkson. He's taken eight off the bench. I think they've yeah. got like two or three players taken eight, a couple taken six. They're just, they're three point shooters. And then whenever they're not shooting threes, they funnel it into Rudy Gobert inside. Yeah. Um, he, Quinn Snyder is the reason for their offensive change. And the fact that they're in first place, I think he and Doc Rivers are really the only two. So I'm going to throw Monty Williams and Steve Nash into the conversation. So this is my argument. Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns are only two and a half games behind the Jazz. The Jazz are no longer this, like, the team just flying away from everyone with the by far the best record in the league. It's not like that anymore. It is close. Uh, the Lakers are only three and a half games back, and the Suns are only two and a half games back. It's not that wide of a margin where I can't see that changing in the near future. And then with Doc Rivers, obviously, he's the number one seed in the East. But with Steve Nash, I think it's very wide open. I think he could easily take that um, number one seed in the East and make a run for coach of the year. So I think it's kind of wide open between those four. I think it's either Doc, Steve Nash, Quinn Snyder, or Monty Williams. So maybe I'm uh, underrating Steve Nash's impact as a coach. He's not the offensive coordinator or the defensive he doesn't coach either offense or defense for this team. He's just a rotations guy. Right. Um, the team's great. They've got amazing players. So yeah. I, it's, it's a tough one. It's tough because I don't know where you, how you really value Steve Nash as a coach because yeah. I'm not really sure how much he's coached. Like besides rotations, I'm not sure what else he's really doing. Um, Doc Rivers absolutely deserves to be talked about the way he has helped Tobias Harris become a much better player um, is impressive the way that I don't know if you can really credit him for Ben Simmons and Joel Bede's growth this year, but if you want to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Monty Williams. The thing is, as long as they're behind the jazz, I can't give it to Monty Williams over Quinn Snyder. I know the Phoenix Suns are so much better than they were last year, better yeah. than people thought they were going to be, but the jazz are better than them. So my question to you is, do you see the Jazz staying in the number one seed throughout the rest of the year? Or do you think the Suns can catch them? I'm a believer in the Jazz, man. I think, right. I think it's entirely possible. Mike Conley's back healthy again. Um, he was out for, I don't know, 10 games. Yeah. And they won seven of them, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, at least. They, they're a deep team. The Suns are also a very deep team. Uh, I would really love to see them be one and two with all the hype that we gave to the LA teams to start this year. If yeah. Utah and Phoenix are one and two, that would be pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I, I can't put Steve Nash in the conversation, but Doc, Monty Williams, and uh, Quinn Snyder, definitely. I think that's fair. I mean, now that you say it, Steve Nash, we're not entirely sure what he does. Uh, there were jokes on Twitter, like he's the vibes coach. <laughs> and I think that kind of is the case. I think he's there for rotations. And I think he's there to keep everyone happy. And so far, he's been doing a really good job of that. But when we compare it to someone like Doc or Monty Williams or Quinn Snyder, who have like really leveled up their teams from where they were in prior I think it's a little bit of a different case, but I don't know, man. I like the, I like the Phoenix Suns and Monty Williams. 
Um, the Jazz going into the All-Star break lost three out of their last four. The Suns were red hot going into the All-Star break. I'm like, I can see a possibility where they overtake the Jazz for the one seed. Or if they, even if they stay in the two seed, I still think I kind of like Monty Williams better just for the fact that this was the scum of the league for so long. Just two years ago, they won 19 games. 19 games out of 82. And now they're the second seed in the West, the harder conference. I just think it's, it's such an improvement. It's such an old, like an exaggeration. Uh, I think it's more eye-popping to me, but I can totally understand why someone would choose Quinn Snyder over him. Yeah, I mean, it's, the praises are fair. Absolutely fair. Um, question I have for you, I'm not sure if this is a crazy question. If the Phoenix Suns become the one seed in the West, if they end the season, let's say, as a one seed in the West, how do we view Chris Paul as an MVP candidate? I don't think he's first. Um, but no. he made the all-star game this year, despite not having the stats of an all-star because he has the impact of an all-star. I think he's impact wise. He is in the same tier as the rest of those guys. Um, I, I don't know, maybe third place, but I'm not sure like where, where do we consider Chris Paul in terms of MVP contention? Is he at all in the conversation? That's super interesting. Um, I think he's probably at the table but I don't think he comes anywhere near it. Like not even maybe even top five. Um, Just because like we're seeing Donovan Mitchell and the jazz in the number one seed right now. And no one's even mentioning Donovan Mitchell in the the MVP conversation. Um, Chris Paul even has lesser stats than Donovan Mitchell. Obviously we know how great Chris Paul is and his impact, but MVP conversation, he might be sitting at the table. He might get like fourth, fifth place votes or something, but I, I don't know if we can seriously put him in that conversation I think that that's fair honestly um his assist numbers are incredible he had a 19 assist game the other day (laughs) um watching him throw the ball around and just find open guys is really really cool I yeah put him at the table don't give him top three I think that's entirely fair all right so we're gonna move on to our final segment before we head out for today our championship picks and our final MVP picks. So preseason, I'm still feeling very confident in my picks. I had Lakers versus Nets. I had the Nets winning and I had Kevin Durant being the finals MVP. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm standing pat on that. And that's before they even got James Harden. So I'm, I'm feeling really good about that. Yeah. I, I have to admit that I was wrong here. Um, It hasn't happened. So we'll see, but I have no, I had Lakers versus Bucks, and I had Giannis taking the chip, taking the the win and the finals MVP. Yeah. I believe in the Nets more. Um, I think the Bucks aren't going to be swept. They're not going to go out in five. Like, they're, they're going to probably get through the first round. I think Drew Holiday adds a lot to this team when he's healthy. Yeah. Um, but the Nets, man, they're just – they're too good of a team. They have too much star power. They have too much championship – uh readiness like they've been there before they know what it takes yeah um the bucks just don't have that i have a question for you just for kd right as the listeners know he's my second favorite player of all time and a lot of a lot was made of his championships in golden state right like how valid are they he joined a 73 win team and then he won two he did win finals mvp both times but 
did they really need him, right? Like, let's say you play, replaced KD with, like, DeMar DeRozan. I still think that team's winning those two championships. Do I think they're winning it in the fashion they did? Hell no, because KD went toe-to-toe with LeBron and, like, I think was the better player in both series. Um, but let's say he wins one of the Nets this year, right? He is a finals MVP. Does it change? Like, does this title mean more to the, than the Golden State ones, in your opinion? Or do you view them as the same because the, both teams were so stacked? It's tough because this team actually has some flaws. Um, the Golden State Warriors were the NBA champions before the season started. Like, you didn't have to watch a single regular season game or playoff game. You knew they were going to make it. I think they lost one game in the playoffs in one of those runs. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, it, was, it was obvious from the jump that they were such a complete, amazing team. Nobody was going to stop them. This year, the Nets actually have some issues. Like, their defense is still shoddy. Their big man position is still weak. Um, I think this championship will mean more, but it certainly wouldn't mean as much if they had won it without James Harden being on this team. Like, that would have been bigger for Katie's legacy than if they win a chip this year. I'm really not sure long-term history-wise how this will impact his legacy. I think he'll forever have asterisks next to his championship wins. This, that's, that's interesting. And I think I want to rebuttal that quickly because I think this title is very different from the Warriors title, even though the teams are both historically great offensively. Um, in, War, in Golden State, he was the player that left and joined them. James Harden is the player who left and joined KD. And I think that does matter. Um, LeBron's titles in Miami, we give him credit still, even though those teams were stacked. Like they went back to back. They had Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron all at the same team. Chris Bosh should be a Hall of Famer, but Dwayne Wade and LeBron are going to be first ballot, no questions asked Hall of Famers. Um, it's kind of the same thing with the Nets. Like, all three are going to be Hall of Famers. We give LeBron all the credit in the world for his Miami Heat titles. Um, I think I'm going to give KD 100%. Like, this is your title. You did it. And he was the one recruiting, too. I think that changes it a little bit. He's not the one being recruited. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think – I think this one's a little bit different. I think there's a bit of a, a narrative difference with LeBron James and the Miami Heat because they were not a great team. I mean, they were a great team their first year, but they didn't win it. Um, there were problems, and they, they needed to – Dwayne Wade needed to basically give the keys to LeBron and say, all right, this is your team. Like, win this for us. Uh, there were hiccups that they had to overcome. If they bring in James Harden and steamroll the league for the rest of the season and just – it depends on, I guess, how much they struggle in the playoffs – um, but if we get to the playoffs and it is clear that the Nets are a cut above every other team in the East, people aren't going to respect their wins as much. I think this is interesting. We're, we can have a little debate here at the end. LeBron's title in 2011, when, when you said like there were issues, LeBron was the issue. LeBron choked in 2011. They got to the finals and then he kind of just didn't do anything. He wasn't aggressive um, enough. He didn't take yeah. as much control over the team. Yeah. Yeah. Super passive. Uh, he was the MVP of the league that year. It made no sense. It's still one of the most puzzling moments in NBA history. Um, we still don't really understand why, but like 
that's on him. Like, if they were to, like, let's say KD, like, is horrible in the finals, like, just doesn't play well, and they still win with James Harden and Kyrie going crazy, then people are going to dog all over him. But if he's the finals MVP and he's clearly the best player in the series, I think we got to give him credit. Yeah, I mean, I think you will. I certainly think you will. I will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure around the NBA how much credit he'll really be given. Yeah. Um, Because it's expected. It's it's like the same with LeBron. That that those were amazing teams, and people expected them to win it all. Um, The the 2016 Cavs final means more than all of his other finals. Um, Easily, like. Yeah, the Miami Heat. the The yeah. one Cavs title is better than all of his Miami Heat titles. People don't realize how stacked that team was, though. The Cavs. That team was loaded. Who are they playing against, man? The, the The Warriors were a great team too. I know, but that's still. I mean, the only like this this might snowball into like a third. <laughs> but in 2015, when the Warriors won their first title, Steph, Clay, and Dre were all great, but. The Cavs just had LeBron. Kyrie was injured and Kevin Love wasn't playing. That series was over before it started, despite how great LeBron was. Um, 2016, everyone was healthy on the Cavs. And that, that kind of showed who the better team was, in my opinion. Uh, they were loaded. Kyrie, nasty. Couldn't guard him. LeBron, obviously. And then Kevin Love's just like 18 points in the corner for three. But they were still really, really good, that team. I mean, yeah, they were really good. Um, I think this this Nets team, KD, Kyrie, and James Harden are significantly better than Kyrie, LeBron, and Kevin Love. Because Kevin Love and Harden do not compare as players. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll certainly give KD credit, far more credit than his Warriors titles. Um, I don't really give him a lot of credit at all for his Warriors titles because it wasn't like – Everybody saw it coming from the start of the season. As soon as he signed the contract, people could have put money down. You could have won a lot of money putting betting on the Warriors to win the championship for the rest of his contracts. Um, But yeah, I think he deserves more credit than those titles, but I don't know, man, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how people look at him. Um, Cause I think there still is a bit of a caveat. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I'll just accept that. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's everything. Ben, do you have anything else to say? I got nothing. Peace, everybody. Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. If you want to interact with us at The Chase Down, make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Blogger at The Chase Down Pod to join the conversation. Peace, everybody.